Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. Good morning, church. So beautiful to be here this morning. So glad. Uh, we're just grateful, grateful to be here this morning. I want to welcome everybody. I want to welcome my cousin Honey all the way from Seattle to join us this morning. Welcome. Great to have you. All right. We are excited. I want to take too long before getting into the Word. So if you have your Bibles, you want to open them up to the book of Ezekiel. We are going to be reading the first three verses of Ezekiel chapter 16. To begin with, then we're going to come back and read a few more verses. While you look that up, I just want to take a second and, and thank our pastor, Pastor Josh, for this opportunity. It's always a privilege and honor to get to be up here and to share the word. It's so beautiful. I'm especially thankful today because last week was my first week working with our kids. And uh, your kids are our kids. They're a handful. Uh, so it is, it's a blessing. And no, I pray for uh, Pastor Bobby, Diana. They're doing an amazing job. We're excited for everything that they're doing. Pray for us because we're going to be there next week again helping out. So got one week before we're back in the trenches. So it's beautiful to be with the adults today. Very, very nice. And we're just we're excited to get to share the word with you this morning. All right. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 1 reads as follows. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, confront Jerusalem with her detestable practices. Now, this next part is a little bit uh, confusing if you don't know the Old Testament too much. But follow along. We're going to explain it. Verse 3 says, And say, This is what the Sovereign Lord says to Jerusalem. Your ancestry and birth were in the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you this morning. Lord, grateful that we can feel your presence. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for your Holy Spirit in this place, Father. Now we ask that your spirit talks to us, Lord. Communicate your message to every one of us. Let me not get in the way of what you want to speak to every heart, to every mind. Lord, let us have our ears open and our hearts, Lord, available to listen to what you have for us today. We ask you in Jesus' name, amen. Before you take a seat, I want you to know that back in the day, if you were an Israelite and somebody called you a member of another tribe that did not follow the Lord, that was seen as a big-time insult. If you were called an Amorite or a Hittite or a Canaanite, that was a huge diss, okay? So before you take a seat, look at someone you don't like and tell them, son of a Hittite. No, I'm kidding. No, 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 don't do that. You can take a seat. Please take a seat. I don't know. You know you were thinking of someone. I don't know. God help you if you were. We'll pray for you after service. All right. All right. No, no, please don't call anybody a son of a Hittite. All right, those pagan worshipers. Okay. So I want to start off with my title for today. I want to thank uh, Pastor Josh for, for inspiring this uh, title and for hyping it up the last few weeks. No pressure. Uh, but our title for today is Trauma, Drama, Daddy, Mama. Uh, quite a mouthful. You should practice that. I had to practice that all week to get it to not uh, say it wrong. Trauma, Drama, Daddy, Mama. 
All right. But before we get too far into our message, I'm actually going to start by asking you a little bit of shopping advice. Okay? And who's here has ever bought a used car? A used car. Anybody bought a used car? Okay. Most of the cars I buy are, are used. Uh, they say that because of depreciation and stuff, if you buy a gently used car, that's actually a pretty sound financial decision, right? Somebody takes the hit of driving it off the lot, you buy it a year or two later, and you get a pretty, pretty good deal, right? So I was, I was looking at some cars this week, and I got a couple of cars uh, for you to help me choose from. I'm going to need your help. All right, just so you know, I'm a Toyota guy. I love my Toyotas. Uh, so I got two 2021 Toyota Tacomas double cab. All right, you got a picture of both of them right there. Both look very nice. All right, the first one has about 19,000 miles and is on sale for 21,500. The second one has 20,000 miles, so 1,000 more, and it's on sale for 34,200. So you're Googling, you're looking up cars, and you're like, oh man, these cars look pretty much the same except for one big difference. What is it? The price, right? The price. One is way more expensive than the other. And to the average car shopper, you look at, oh, I'm going to go for the one that's the better deal, right? The two cars look the same. They're the same year. They have about the same mileage. The only difference is the price. Why would I not go for that cheaper car? But there's one word, one word that describes the difference between these two cars. It describes why one of these cars is almost $13,000 cheaper than the other car. And this word is the scarlet letter of cars, right? Anybody know what word that is? Yell it out. Salvage. salvage. The cheaper truck is a salvage truck. Both of these cars, neither car is new. Both of these cars are used. Both of these cars have a past. But they both had a previous owner. But the owner of the salvage car crashed it in an accident. Now, if you look at it, and it comes with other pictures, and you can go around and take a look all around it, inside, outside, it looks great. They fixed it up so that it looks just fine. And by looking at it, you would never know that it's been through an accident, that it's been through a traumatic experience, right? It's been restored. The broken parts have been replaced. Right, the dents have been uh, fixed, smoothed out, and it even got a new paint job. So both cars look great. But when you check the car's title, the car's registration, it's going to have that word salvage forever on its record. And see, when one car, when a car has been in an accident, it becomes dam damaged goods. It's not the same as it originally was. Even if on the outside, it might look like they repaired everything. When you look down, when you're down deep in the frame of the car, the chassis, the parts that you can't see, there could be some structural damage that is not visible. The car might just be this much out of alignment, and you can't tell right away. But over time, as you drive it, as you use it, Cars that are classified as salvage are more prone to break down, to malfunction, to end up in the shop more often for repairs, right? The expectations of reliability, right, of life expectancy, of functionality of a car that is salvage is reduced to a great level. And here's what I'm going to recommend. Unless you are a mechanic, like Eddie back there, my mechanic, he's amazing, 
All right. Uh, you guys need a car fixed? All right. Uh, unless you are an expert on mechanic, you should be very careful about buying something with the word salvage in the title. Right? Only an expert, only somebody who understands all the intricacies of a vehicle, who understands how a car works inside and out, can make the decision to buy a car if it's been previously damaged. Right? Only an expert can go in and deal with that issue, with that trauma that's going to make it right. All right, I'm going to turn the tables on you. I'm not actually here to talk about cars today. All of us, if we're old enough, if we've been through some things, we've all had accidents. And I'm not talking about car accidents. I'm not talking about a car crash. I'm talking about a life crash. We had fender benders. We've had emotional train wrecks. We've had bumps and bruises. We've had broken hearts. We've had broken dreams. We've had, we've had shattered expectations. We've all been through some stuff. We all had a plan of where our life was headed, where we was going to go, how we visualized where we were going to end up. And we've all wandered off that path. Either through our fault or somebody else, we've been pushed off the right path. The Bible tells us that we all as sheep have gone astray. Biblically speaking, we are all salvage. Biblically speaking, we have a title in our registry. That says, they've been through some stuff. They've been in an accident. They've been damaged. They've been hurt. They've been wounded. All of us have at some point in life fallen asleep behind the wheel. Only to wake up injured and in a ditch where we never thought we were going to end up. That's the kind of life that happens. That's just life on earth. That's how it is. And psychologists tell us that every time that you are hurt emotionally, you become emotionally scarred. The word for that in psychology is trauma. So every one of us is walking around with trauma. We all have a past. And maybe as we go through life, sometimes it feels like we just can't get it together. Right? It feels like we go from one broken relationship to another. It feels like every time we hit a little bump, it feels like a roller coaster, the ups and downs. Our families, our finances, our spiritual walk can't seem to just stay on the right path. And you can show up to church on Sunday, and you can look great. And your outfit could be on point, and your makeup can be on fleek, and your shoes could be ready for an Instagram post. Not mine, yours, I don't know. Mine are from Target. But. And on the outside, everything looks just fine. But there could be some internal, some structural damage on the inside. And that's tough. Because people look at, at us and they don't see that. But we're just ever so slightly off of alignment. And then when people look and see, they don't understand why we're always breaking down. They don't understand why we're malfunctioning. They don't understand why the little potholes of life make us end up in the repair shop all the time. They don't see why we're a mess because they can't see what we're really hurting with. And for some of us, it was our fault. We made the choices. We decided certain things. We made certain choices when we were younger, and that's led us to where we are now. And for some of us, 
maybe we could feel like a victim. And we could say, ah, it, wasn't, it wasn't me behind the wheel. It's the choices my parents made when I was younger. It's a choice somebody else made. It's something else. And I'm the one that ended up hurt. I'm the one that ended up traumatized. I'm the one that ended up injured through no fault of my own. And now we feel like we have to spend the rest of our lives dealing with the consequences that this trauma has caused. We all carry around trauma that others can't see. And the trauma from our past keeps causing drama in our future. Or am I the only one that has ever felt like that? Let's go back a little bit to our scripture. When we read in the book of Ezekiel that God calls the residents of Jerusalem, his children, he calls them the descendants of Canaan, the children of the Amorites and of the Hittites. What he is saying is that they, instead of following him, instead of staying on his path, they're following the same footsteps, the same patterns of the pagan nations that they were supposed to replace. They were supposed to be different, but instead of doing things better, it just ended up being more of the same. When you were a kid, do you ever look at your parents and say, I'm going to do it better? And then 10, 15, 20 years later, you're stuck in the same rut. You're stuck in the same situations. Some of us, metaphorically, are children of Hittites. Why? Because we're making the same mistakes and we're following in the same patterns that our parents made. Look, we all have thought patterns, mental paradigms, habits, routines, predispositions that we inherited, that we followed from our parents, from our grandparents, from our family line. And research tells us that statistically speaking, and that's a very important caveat, statistically speaking, who here wants to end up a statistic? I don't. But statistically speaking, the path your parents paved for their own life, whether good or bad, will have a strong influence on the path that you will follow in your life. Things like divorce, obesity, substance abuse, having a criminal record, even good things like going to college or being a member of a church are all statistically correlated to your family background, which means that if your parents did it, there's a higher chance that you're going to do it as well. And people call these by different names. They call them family patterns. Sometimes they call them generational curses. Sometimes they call them familial cycles because you see what you see in the parents, you see in the kids. In fact, we have sayings, right? We say, like father, like son, like, mo like mother, like daughter. In Spanish, we have a saying that says, so is the stick, so is the splinter that came off of it, right? We say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree because we realize that there is some truth behind these ideas, and some of us in the past, I'll be the first to admit, have seen the mistakes of our parents. And we'll say something like, well, I'm not going to make the same mistakes my parents made. My life, my marriage, my situation is going to be different. Right? Okay. That's great. And I'm not against all those positive declarations. That's good. That's a great start. That's a great first step. But I need you to know that just saying it is not enough. You have to follow it up with positive choices, with actual change in your life, and with positive actions. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a little homework this week. Some of you might already be doing it. 
Sometimes you need to sit back and you need to reflect on the root causes of where your parents ended up. Not just, it's easy to say, well, I'm not going to end up there. But in order to not end up there, you got to recalculate the GPS. you got to come back and go, okay, what are the steps that led them, that took them, the choices that they made to end up there? And I'm going to go all the way back, right? Backwards planning. Pastor Josh has been talking about that. You need to come back, work backwards from the beginning and go, okay, what am I going to do so that I end up in a different place? So if you're taking notes, write this little sentence frame. Teachers are supposed to give sentence frames. I'm a teacher, so I got this little sentence frame for your homework. If you're not taking notes, take a picture. I like to take pictures of the slides. All right, it's easier than taking notes. Okay, whatever works for you. But look, this is what you can do this week. You can take some time and reflect and say, my parents blank. And you insert whatever choice or decision your parents made. And this led to blank. You write down any consequence or the situation where your parents ended up. And you say, instead, I'm going to blank. That's where you write down what you're going to do differently so that I can blank. And that's where you write down where you actually want to get to in your goals in life. Right? Let me give you a quick little example. My parents turned to alcohol or substance abuse to deal with their problems or to mask their problems. And this led to failed relationships, and a broken home. Instead, I'm going to first seek God, then I'm going to seek counseling. I'm going to do something different so that I can have a thriving marriage and I can have healthy relationships. Okay? Now, everybody's got a different situation. So I can't tell you what's going to apply in your situation, but you need to take that time. And whether you grew up in the church, whether your parents were amazing or your parents were deadbeats, we all have things, we all have trauma, we've all been through things that we need to improve and we need to get better. Right? And some of you might be thinking, okay, Sam, but where were you 20 years ago? Right? This would be great advice to follow in my youth. But I'm not 15 anymore, Sam. I've been through some stuff and now it's my own choices that have led to where I am. Now how am I going to dig myself out of this hole? Well, one step at a time is the only way to do it. I have another sentence frame. You can apply it to yourself. It looks almost the same. But this time, it says, in the past, I, and that's right where you write down the choices you've made in the past. And this has led to, and that's where you write down where you're at right now. Okay? Instead, from this day forward, I'm going to blank, and that's where you write down what you're going to do differently so that I can, and that's where you write down where you're going to end up based on the choices you make today. And look, the enemy is going to try to convince you that change happens tomorrow. That's the enemy's favorite word. Tomorrow. Tomorrow you can receive Jesus. Tomorrow you can be different. The diet starts tomorrow. <laughs> the devil is a liar. But all throughout the scriptures, throughout the Bible, we know that the language of God is today. Bible says today is the day of salvation. While it is called today, seek the Lord today while he may be found. This is the day. This is your moment. This is your time of change. So don't listen to the enemy when he tries to tell you, you'll change later. Wait till next week. Wait till next month. Wait till 2024 so you can have a great New Year's resolution. <laughs> the language of the enemy is tomorrow. The language of God is today. You need to make a choice today. 
Will you let your background and your past define who you are or refine who you will become? I'll say it again. Are you going to let your past define who you are or refine who you will become? Many people are upset at God for allowing them to go through trials. They don't realize that it's those very trials that help refine who we are. The Israelites, they had to go through the desert before they could get through the promised land. Gold has to go through the fire so that it can be purified. That piece of gold, that little nugget, it has to be melted. It has to be forged. It has to be hammered before it can be turned into a piece of sparkling jewelry. And here's the thing. If your life is nothing more than impurities, then as it goes through the fire, it's just going to burn you. And it's just going to consume you. But I believe that if you are here this morning, it's because God has a purpose for you. And he's implanted something special, something golden, something valuable inside every single one of you. And he's going to put you through the fire. Not to consume you, but to purify you. To burn away all the impurities in your life so that the pure gold that he has called you to be can shine through. Remember when I was talking about cars? Who did I say was the only one that should take the risk of buying a car that's been damaged? Eddie, right? A mechanic. An expert. Somebody who knows. Right? Somebody that can go in there and can fix it. Somebody that can analyze to the deepest part of a car. Well, the question is, who can analyze to the deepest part of your soul? The English word that we translate for Jesus' job in the Bible is carpenter. Right? And that's an okay translation from the Greek. But I was looking at this word in the Greek, and the Greek word is tekton, which also means an artificer, which I had to look up. I don't know what that was in English. But it's a skilled or artistic worker or craftsman. Right? It's an expert in their field, somebody that can go in and make a repair and build and fix and heal and renew and make wrong things right. Jesus' job wasn't to fix wood. His job was to fix people. Jesus is in the business of purchasing salvaged human beings. People with the label of salvage and restoring them to their original God-given purpose and splendor. That's what Jesus is willing to do. When he died on the cross, he paid the price to purchase you and to purchase me so that he can make us a new creation. And that's what the Bible can declare in 2 Corinthians. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've gone through, when you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You get a new opportunity. He is the restorer. He is the fixer down to the bottom of your soul. When we are in Christ, he redefines who we are. Let's go back to Ezekiel 16 for a minute. I told you we'd read a few other verses. Let me just give you a little context. So God is telling the story of Jerusalem, of the city of God, and of how they fell away from God. 
And they became like the Hittites, like the Canaanites, like the Amorites, like just another tribe that didn't know who their father was. And you think he'd stop there, but it gets even worse. In verses 4 and 5, he talks about how they were abandoned, they were neglected, they were rejected, and they were left on the side of the road in their own blood to die. That's how bad it was for the Israelites. But God. Then we go to verse 6. And I'm going to read a few verses because they're beautiful. They're some of the most beautiful poetry in the Bible. Verse 6. Then I passed by. This is God speaking. Then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you one word. Live. Verse 9. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. He healed you, but he didn't even stop there. Verse 10, I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck. You were blinged out. Look at verse 13. So you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were a fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. Your food was honey, olive oil, and the finest flour. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. You went from being abandoned on the side of the road to being a queen. Adorned in all her splendor. And that's what Jesus is offering you today. If you give him your life. If you turn it over to him. Those of you that dedicated your children today, that's beautiful. That's so important. And you go, God, maybe I'm not perfect, but God, you can do the work. God, I'm putting them in your hands. And as, as, while they're young, I'm putting them under your covering, under your protection. And you're going to guide them and you're going to direct them. And you're going to stand by me and I'm going to do my best. Parents, you committed to do your best. And God will do the rest. But you're going to stand and you together with God, you're going to raise your children on the paths of the Lord. And he's going to guide you and he's going to direct you. And he has a special calling and a purpose for your kids. Amen? I have some kids of my own. And I've been in that exact same situation. And I want to wrap this up with a story. In that room up there, there's a little girl. She was born September 2018. And in the last, in the, she's four years old. She's four years old right now. But in the first two years of her life, she went through more trauma than many of us will face in a lifetime. By the time she was three months old, she had been uh, taken away from her home by CPS. In her first two years of life, she had five different placements. She was getting moved around. Her dad is in prison right now. Her mom has been struggling with emotional health, with mental health, with homelessness, with unemployment, with her own issues. If anybody looked at where this little girl came from, I can't even share all the details with you. If everybody heard, anybody heard 
what she's been through, where she's come from, her lineage. She comes from a broken home, and both of her parents come from broken homes. So anybody who heard her story would expect very little from her future. Anybody who heard her story would not expect much. Would just expect her to repeat and to be in the same cycles, in the same mistakes, in the same generational curses, generation after generation. And they wouldn't expect much for this little girl. But on July 1st, 2021, everything changed for this little girl. Up until then, she was in our care. She was our foster baby. But on July 1st, 2021, a judge of the state of California declared that this little girl had a new father and had a new mother. She had a new name. They gave her a new birth certificate. And her life changed forever. Yes, she had a past, but she has a new future. My wife and I, we are committed to anything it takes. We are trusting God. We're putting her in God's hands. She was dedicated at church when she was young. We're committed to help her, to stand by her. And we know that God has a special purpose for this little girl. And if you've met her, man, you know that she is a handful. And if you work in L Kids, God bless you. And if you're there with the little kids, man, now you can understand a little bit why. And now that you know a little bit of her past. But this girl is a handful. She's a firecracker. But I know she's going to be a firecracker for the kingdom of God. I know that her past is not going to define who she is, but it's going to refine. And she's going to stand up, and she's going to have a testimony, and she's going to serve a purpose, and she has a calling, and she's going to go places. And one day, this little girl is going to be an amazing woman of God. Why? Because of that one day. When the state of California rewrote who she was and said she is no longer theirs, she is yours. And when she became part of our family, she became part of God's family. And I know that God's covering what is going to be on her every day for the rest of her life. And just like she can go back to July 1st, 2021 and say, that's the day my life changed. Maybe some of you are standing here today and you're dealing with your past. And your past is defining you and your past is making you who you are and you can't let go. But maybe today is the day that you finally declare that you are going to be a part of a new family. That you are going to be part of the kingdom of God, of the family of God. That God is going to become your father. That you're going to receive Jesus into your heart. And you're going to be brought into his family. And then you could stand one day and say, on February 19, 2023... Not in the state of California, not a judge licensed by the state, but the judge of judges and the king of kings stood on the throne of heaven in the courtroom of heaven and declared that I was no longer a victim to my past, but a victor in the destiny that God has for my future. That's the life that you can have. And we can go around this room, and there are dozens. The Bible says we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. 
There are dozens of people in this room that could stand up and give their testimony and talk to you about their past and talk to you about their mistakes and talk to you about where they've been. But they could tell you the day that Jesus came into their life. They could tell you the day that everything changed, the day that the God of the universe became their heavenly father and nothing has ever been the same. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and to bow your heads. Look, with this little girl, is it going to be easy? No way. No way. And pray for us. Pray for us. There's still a lot of internal trauma. There's still a lot to be dealt with. Yes. But I am trusting God, the expert and the creator of her soul. When we got her, I wasn't the mechanic. It was God. And he was standing by us. And we said, God, you're the only one that can fix the trauma. You're the only one that can fix the pain. And God, God, if this is your will, make it happen. And one day I could tell you the whole story. But I don't know how she ended up in our lives. And is it going to be easy for you? No. Is it a one-time thing? No, it's going to be a process. God is going to work. He's going to go in there. He's going to fix. He's going to melt down. He's going to reforge. He's going to replace. He's going to paint over. He's going to hammer out. But he's going to do the work that only he can do. If I could have you bow your heads. If there's anyone in this place that wants to receive God as their heavenly father, that wants to step into the future, that God has for them. I want you to raise your hand this morning at the count of three. If there's anybody who has been through some stuff and maybe you were walking with God but you're struggling and you're hurting and you need him to come and to repair and you've been in an accident and you need the mechanic of mechanics to come and put your life back, I also want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. God bless you if you're raising your hand. God bless you. God sees you. God knows this. I'm going to ask you as a church to join with me. Can we repeat this together in support of those that are committing or recommitting their lives to Christ? Can we bow our heads and we pray? Jesus, I know that I've made mistakes. I know that I come with a past. But today I give you my life. I believe that you paid the price for my mistakes on the cross. And I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. I want to be a part of your family. Please make me a new creation so that I can live the abundant life that you have for me. Amen. As we get into some time of worship, if you need prayer, if you receive Christ, if you're hurting, if you're searching for something, if there is some internal damage, we have some amazing pastors at this church. I invite you to come up. We want to pray for you. This altar is open. God is working. His spirit is in this place. It's nothing I can do. It's nothing a pastor can do. God wants to work in your life to your innermost core. And this altar is open. Join us. We want to pray for you. We want to unite with you. We want you to know that you're not alone, that God is with you. Everybody else, if you could help us pray and worship together. 
If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.